So Acts chapter 20, and beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one else's gold or silver or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he'd spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Well, it's a real privilege for me to be preaching at Sam's ordination. Sam is a dear friend and a brother in the Lord. And I just want to spend um, a brief time looking at this speech, this wonderful speech that the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesian elders. And in many ways, the application of this to Sam is, is really simple. 
be like Paul. That's what the application is. Not just to Sam, but to uh, all the men sitting around us here, all these leaders in the church, the elders of Chalmers, the, the, the potential future elders of Redeemer, the ministers of uh, the churches that are represented here tonight. Be like Paul. Be like the Apostle Paul in your ministry because Paul's ministry is a model of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus wants his church to be led. In fact, what Luke, the author of Acts, does is he, he deliberately makes his account of um, Paul's ministry similar to his account of Jesus in Luke's gospel. You, you, may be, you may remember, if you're familiar with Luke's gospel, that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, where he was going to suffer and die. Um, and as he journeys towards Jerusalem, he teaches his disciples how they are to live after his departure. And so here in Acts 20, Paul has resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, to a, a place where he knows that he is going to suffer. And he wants to teach the Ephesian elders how to keep going after his departure. And so in Paul, we see this pattern of what authentic Christian ministry looks like. He is an example to us as he is an example of Christ. And no matter how old we are or uh, how long we've been in the game, there's a few guys here that have been in the game for quite a while, um, we never stop learning this. Uh, tonight is not like passing a driving test for Sam. He doesn't get the, the green P and now he's good to go. Uh, in ministry, the L plates never come off. We are constantly learning, constantly striving to be like the Apostle Paul as he was like the Lord Jesus. But this is a text not just for Sam and not just for uh, those who are leaders in the church of Jesus. Um, passages like Acts 20 are important for everyone here tonight, for all of us, because they show us what the church should be like and they show the standard that we should look for in our leaders in the church. We need to see what authentic Christian ministry is like because uh, the truth is there will be lots of people who claim to be part of the church but in reality are false teachers who can actually lead us further away from the Lord Jesus. The great American minister Jonathan Edwards used to say that the more excellent something is, the more replicas of it there will be. And that's true, isn't it? And there is nothing more amazing, nothing more excellent than the gospel of Jesus. And therefore, there will be plenty of false replicas of it. But the way we spot that is by understanding what the real deal looks like. Let me illustrate it like this. It's actually an illustration I've stolen from Bob Ackroyd, who's sitting in front of me. I didn't realize he would be here tonight. Um, <laughs> but I'm going with it. Um, Apparently, when the FBI were struggling to stop the flow of counterfeit money in the United States, they came up with a new tactic to um, try and spot the fakes, where rather than trying to see what fake money looked like, they would spend a lot of time studying the real deal, so that when they saw the fake money, they were able to spot it instantly because they had spent so long studying what the real deal looked like. Well, what Paul describes here in Acts 20, that's the real deal. 
That's Christian ministry. That's gospel leadership. This is what it looks like. And I want us all to see um, that this is normal. Like, this is not kind of superhuman stuff. This is just normal, basic Christian ministry. Um, Sam's going to make some very serious promises tonight, but we need to see that they are normal. You know, when Paul planted this church in Ephesus, um, a lot of weird stuff happened. Like, people would touch the Apostle Paul's handkerchief and they would get healed of diseases. But did you notice that, that Paul doesn't mention any of that in this speech to the Ephesian elders? So Paul does not expect you, Sam, to be throwing your snotty hankies over the people of Collington. That was a, a thing that was unique to him as the Lord's apostle. Rather, what he mentions in this speech is what is expected of church leaders throughout the ages. And in some ways, it's way more impressive than being healed by his hanky. This is what marked Paul's ministry. This is at the heart of all that he did. And the Ephesian elders knew it because they saw it. He didn't talk the talk. He also walked the walk. He was totally transparent with them in how he lived and in what he said. And so here's what we see in Paul's example that the elders of the church were to emulate and that you, Sam, are to emulate. Four things. Firstly, be a suffering servant. Be a suffering servant. Verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. Being a, an elder, being a minister, uh, is really hard. I don't really need to say that to the guys sitting around me because they know I don't need to say it to Sam because Sam knows. I mean, we are talking about serving a God who was insulted and killed. We praise and we exalt a Christ who was crucified and crowned not with gold but with thorns. And that's our King. That's our Master. And we are called to serve Him. And we joyfully serve Him. The elders of the church are called to serve his church. And so Sam is not called tonight to have um, a status in society. He's not called to wear fancy flowing robes and to be known as uh, revered. He's called to wash feet. And you're called to do that sometimes with tears and with trials. Every minister here will testify that it's hard but every minister here will testify that it's so worth it. And Paul is a great example. He's a great example of how to suffer well through the hard times of ministry. He just has this ability to, to see the big picture. He doesn't become introspective in his sufferings and think, woe is me. And it, it was his humility that enabled him to persevere as a minister of the gospel. Jesus matters more. People being mature in Jesus, people being brought into Jesus' kingdom by his grace, that matters more than anything. It matters more than your own life. It matters more than the shedding of your own blood. Look at what he says um, in verse 22. 
And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. It's going to be hard, but it's a great privilege. It's the greatest privilege in the world to share the good news of God's grace and to see the gospel flourish and to see people mature in Christ. It's more precious than your own life. It's a noble thing to suffer for this king. So be a suffering servant. Secondly, be a persistent preacher. Be a persistent preacher. This is the big emphasis Paul puts on his ministry. Look at what he says in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The elders of the church are servants. And one of the main ways that they serve the church is through teaching the Word of God. That's the heart of an authentic gospel-centered church. Paul uses a lot of different verbs in Acts 20 to show the priority of preaching God's Word. We teach the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. We testify to the Word of God. We declare the Word of God. Sam is, is called tonight and set aside to preach. It is the most important task he can do for Redeemer. Because this here is everything to us. And so we don't stand above it. We don't stand alongside it, but we stand underneath it. And you read through the book of Acts and you see, how does, how does Luke describe the, the spread of Jesus' kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit? How does he describe it? He describes it like this, the word of God spread. That's what we teach. That is how Jesus rules his church. And so Paul, he preached persistently. He preached up the front like this. But this here, doing this once a week, that's extremely important, but that's not enough. Paul went, do you see what he says? He went house to house. He shared his life with these people when he lived with them for three years, and he did not hesitate to tell them anything from the Bible that would help them. His conversation was saturated with Scripture and always motivated by a desire to build up and to help the people of God. And so this word here that Sam is called to preach, it builds up Jesus' church, but it's also how we reach the lost. We, we declare the truths that are in this word. We declare that gospel that the people of Collington desperately need to hear. Repent and believe. That's what we are here to do, to say to the world, look, we are messed up sinners. We are deserving of the wrath of God and we must turn from our sin towards Jesus. And we must put our faith that Jesus will deal with our sin, that our faith in Jesus' sacrifice to forgive us of all our sin and faith in him to adopt us into God's family. Repent and believe. It's the gospel message. 
It's the heart of the message, but that doesn't mean that we have just one thing to say. Did you notice in verse 27 that Paul says he did not shrink away from declaring the whole counsel of God? The the wealth of wisdom that is in here, the, the comprehensive treasure of truth, God has shared with humanity everything that we need to know about him. And so we must make sure, and Sam must make sure, to proclaim everything that is in the scripture. That means, Sam, you must not shy away from proclaiming the true horrors of eternal judgment in hell. Nor must you diminish the great wonder and joy of being with God in heaven. Do not be ashamed of God's views and his ethics that stand contrary to what we hear in our culture. Do not be ashamed of his views on sex, marriage, money, pride. Do not hold back on teaching all of his character. Preach the the greatness of his power and his majesty. Preach the terror of his anger. Preach the pain of his heart when people reject him. Preach the magnitude of his love and compassion. Preach the overwhelming joy he has when sinners are saved. Preach the awe that is felt in the presence of his holiness. You must proclaim all of what God has said. Don't proclaim what you think the people need to hear. Let God rule Redeemer through his word. And capture not just the information, but the tone. Paul weeps at the thought of judgment and apostasy and rejoices at people being mature in Christ and the gospel spread into the nations. And Paul's effectiveness as a, as a preacher was seen not just in what he said, but in how he lived it. Be open, be honest, be vulnerable, so that your life will give steel to the backbone of the gospel that you proclaim. I'm only two years into a church plant um, in Charleston and Dundee at the moment, but I can say that there's a kind of million things that often compete with your time. And you've got to be wise in deciding what you do, but the thing that you must never compromise on is the preaching of the Word of God. Paul was a persistent preacher. Thirdly, Paul was a protective pastor. Be a protective pastor. The term pastor, as I'm sure you know, simply means to shepherd. Um, now, this image of a, of a shepherd has been ruined, unfortunately, by these kind of stained glass images, and, and we think it's a kind of sentimental, fluffy, uh, nice thing. But to be a shepherd in the ancient world, well, you had to be hard as nails. It was a tough job. And so in the days before electric fences, shepherds would sleep outside the sheep pen so that if a wolf or lion came along, imagine this, if a wolf or lion came along, you would have to fight it off. So your job was to fight wolves and protect the sheep. The job of a shepherd was to protect the sheep. And Paul wants the Ephesian elders to protect Jesus' sheep. And there are two danger areas that you need to look out for. Firstly, you need to watch yourself. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine. Don't think because you're ordained it's plain sailing. Be alert. You are a sinner like us all. And you know 
as we all do, where the devil is going to attack us. And complacency is often the downfall of a minister. And we've seen often enough that the devil seeks to take out the flock of Jesus by taking out her pastors. Sam, you need to have people around you to help you watch yourself. And similarly, God willing, with the elders at Redeemer in the future, you need to help watch them, watch their lives, watch their doctrine, because sin crouches at the door and it wants to devour. Secondly, though, Paul says to watch out for your congregation, watch out for those in the flock, because the apostle Paul knows that even in a strong church like the one in Ephesus, there will be wolves, false teachers who will damage the church. And more often than not, that false teaching doesn't come from without, it comes from within. And so you must be alert. And you must, with graciousness and wisdom, with sadness and tears, and with a self-awareness of your own weakness, you must teach against the false ideas of God that are circulating either in the church or in supposed Christian circles. You cannot let anything contrary to the Bible damage the church. Why? Because these people matter to Jesus. Paul describes them as a flock that he has obtained with his own blood. So be a protective pastor, be a suffering servant, be a persistent preacher, be a protective pastor, and finally be a generous giver. You know, when Paul lived with the Ephesians, he tells us here in verse 34 that he didn't take a wage, but he provided for his own needs. Uh, Now, Paul's not saying this to make a point that ministers should not be paid. Uh, In fact, in 1 Timothy, he goes out of his way to say how important it is that ministers are paid for the work they do. Rather, he puts this forward as, as an example to these elders that they are not to be doing this job to get some sort of gain out of it but they are to do it to show generosity. So you're not here to gain, you're here to give. And Sam will be paid, I hope. But you cannot be in this job because you need a wage to provide for you and your family. And brothers around me, let's not make jokes about how bad our wages as ministers. We have more than most of the world's population And the love of money is a big sin that Jesus warns about more than anything else because he knows we're so often blind to our greed and our covetousness. Perhaps it's not so much gaining money that could be a pitfall for those in ministry. Maybe a big pitfall we all face is that we want to gain a reputation. We want to make a name for ourselves. We'll write some books, not just to get a bit of extra cash, but so that our name can be out there. And there will be a temptation, Sam, and I'm speaking from my own experience, especially in church planting, there will be a temptation for you to want the church plant to succeed so that you can be seen as being a success. Do not count your life as any value or precious. Who are you? Who am I? At the end of the day, what matters is him and his glory can't be in this job for gain. We are called to give. And we must provide, not just for ourselves, but for the weak. We must give for all in the church, but I think especially the poor, the marginalized, the widows, the orphans, the helpless, the struggling. Sam is not called to Lord's superiority over the church. He's called to be a slave to the church. And paradoxically, That is what gives true freedom and joy 
Because as he quotes from the Lord Jesus here, it's so much better to give than to receive. I'm out of time. I guess so. I just I kind of want to draw out something that, that, that runs through the whole speech. Um, and it's something that really struck me. I guess it's something we're in danger, we're in danger of missing. Um, it's the tears. It's a lot of tears. Um, which is challenging. Maybe not for Sam. He's quite an emotive guy. Um, it's challenging for me. But the tears are absolutely essential because the tears show us this is not just some job or some exercise in academia for the Apostle Paul. He loves these people. He really gave up everything for them. And it's telling, isn't it, that the thing that troubles the Ephesian elders is it's not the prospect of wolves rising from among them, though I'm sure that did trouble them. The thing that troubled them most was when Paul said that he would never see them again. And you want the church to be sad when you leave. Not to feed your ego and not because they're dependent upon you, but simply because you love them and they love you. And that comes through giving your life to them. Like I said at the, the start, transparency is so important as a leader. We live in a time where we're probably better connected to each other than we ever have been in the history of the human race, and yet, ironically, it makes it easier to hide, to present a false view of ourselves to the world through social media or through email. We're fine. But the elders of the church can't hide. They invest and they give themselves to the people. They share their vulnerability and their weaknesses where appropriate and wisely. They give their time and their energy. They eat with the people. They hang out with them. They live with them. They speak to them as brothers and sisters. And so there is much rejoicing when there is rejoicing in the church. And there's also mutual tears when there is crying and weeping in the church. Be a suffering servant, be a persistent preacher, be a protective pastor, be a generous giver for the glory of Jesus and his church, and may the gospel flourish in Collington. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, how selfless he was, how he gave his life to the people. Thank you, Father that he was willing to suffer for you, that he persistently taught your word, that he gave his life for this congregation. Thank you that he was a protective pastor who warned with tears of the potential dangers that the flock faced. And thank you that he was a generous, generous giver. Father, I pray that Sam's ministry would be patterned after Paul's. Pray that all of us here would be patterned after Paul's ministry as he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we want to thank you for the elders of Chalmers Church and for the ministry of Robin Sidsurf and how they have exemplified many of these qualities. They are not perfect, none of us are, but we thank you for their generosity, for their support of Sam, for their passion for the gospel to spread throughout this city. And Father, we pray that the name of Jesus would be made much of in Collington. Father, we think of the thousands of people 
that will be on the doorstep of that church who do not know the Lord Jesus, who are lost and who are blind and who are stumbling about in the darkness of sin. And yet we have a message of freedom and of joy, of love and forgiveness. And Father, we pray that this church would bring many into the kingdom of Jesus for the glory of Jesus' name. May he be exalted in Collington. May he be exalted in Edinburgh. May he be exalted in Scotland. And may he be exalted to the very ends of the earth, we pray. Amen. Sam, can I invite you to come and stand up at the front? Sam, we've reflected in the beginning of the service on God's grace through your life. We've sung of how God holds you fast, the orientation always from God to you, holding your hands. We've heard of the example of the Apostle Paul and your heart and our hearts enlarged with zeal for the gospel for that part of the city and the church you will lead. And so we come to your ordination to be a minister. Jesus leads his church through his word. And under Jesus, a local church is led by elders who corporately lead the church, assisted by deacons to allow the elders to teach, to shepherd, and to pray, and to be servants, and to suffer and to love the Lord and his people. A minister is an elder, set apart to give an overall lead. And if the tasks of elders are to teach, to shepherd, to pray, to love, to suffer, and to serve, then the task of the minister is the same. They take more of the responsibility. A main area of their responsibility is preaching to the gathered congregation. It seems legitimate also to include in the overall lead of a minister what we might call vision and strategy and direction. However, as Andy has reminded us from Paul's example, nothing must ever replace your primary calling as a pastor and as a teacher. Otherwise, Sam, you will lead the church, not Jesus through his word. An individual does not take a lead as minister because they have time or because they want to. They are given time because they have been gifted and recognized as such. Being set apart to take a lead as a minister is a big responsibility, one that requires rigorous training, training. To be responsible in a large part for the preaching of God's Word when a church community is gathered is an onerous task. That sets the tone for the whole church. Sustaining that over a lifetime should never be taken lightly. It is vocational warfare, full of cost and full of joy. The local church is the primary place of training in partnership with theological study. And that period provides the elders of a church and the individual affirmation that they are suitable for the role. 
And here the affirmation of the wider church is important. Ordination is the formal setting apart to a particular role. Ordination acknowledges that the person ordained has the authority to exercise the role to which they have been ordained. So who should take part in the ordination of a minister? The elders of the church in which they are set apart, but also a wider group of ministers as an external attestation of the person's suitability to undertake such a leadership role. So Sam will be ordained by the elders of Chalmers Church and by this group of ministers gathered. Ordination is symbolized by the laying on of hands. What happens in the laying on of hands, often referred to as an act of ordination? The laying on of hands does not confer graces or gifts to the candidate to equip him for ministry. It is rather a public indication that the man being ordained is called of God to that particular ministry. It is an expression of belief that the necessary endowments of grace are there. Yet, at the same time, ordination, this occasion, under the authority of Jesus and his word, is a divine appointment, not a human contrivance. And when ordination is done in the right spirit, we may expect that it will not be without the presence of the risen Christ and the peace of Jesus, owning his own institution and blessing his own ordinance. The occasion, the promises, the words of Jesus, the singing of God's people, impresses on you, Sam, the solemnity and seriousness of what is happening in what we pray for you will be an unforgettable way. The Spirit of the living Jesus that indwells you, so convicting you and consuming you with zeal for ministry. And therefore, in the deepest sense, a minister is someone called by God, zeal for the glory of God, love to the Lord Jesus, and a desire for the salvation of all people. These are the flames should burn in your heart as a minister of the gospel, quickened by the Holy Spirit, calling you to ministry, such that you are convinced and convicted that there is nothing else in the world that you can do and be a minister of the gospel. And so we meet to ordain you to be a minister you will serve as the minister of Redeemer Church, a church plant from Chalmers Church. Now we stand as a congregation together and say the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please sit. In this act of ordination, Chalmers and Redeemer, as part of the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, worshipping one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, affirms anew its belief in the gospel of the sovereign grace and love of God, wherein through Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord incarnate, crucified and risen, he freely offers to all people upon repentance and faith the forgiveness of sins, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and everlasting life, and calls them to labor in the fellowship of faith for the advancement of the kingdom throughout the world. Chalmers and Redeemer acknowledges the Bible to be the Word of God and the supreme rule of faith and life. Chalmers and Redeemer holds as its subordinate standard the Westminster Confession of Faith, recognizing liberty of opinion on such points of doctrine that do not enter into the substance of the faith. Sam will make now solemn ordination vows. He does not make or keep these vows in his own strength, but always in dependence on God's grace. Sam, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess in you the Lord Jesus as your Saviour and Lord? I do, by God's grace. Do you believe the Bible to be the Word of God and the supreme rule of faith and of life? I do, by God's grace. Do you believe the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, taught in the Bible and summarised in the Westminster Confession of Faith? I do, by God's grace. Are not zeal for the glory of God, love to the Lord Jesus Christ, and a desire for the salvation of all people, so far as you know your own heart, your great motives, and heart's desire to be set apart as a minister of the gospel? They are, by God's grace. Do you promise to be faithful in your responsibility to preach God's word? I do, by God's grace. Do you promise to be faithful in your responsibility to shepherd God's people? I do, by God's grace. Do you promise to be faithful in prayer for the church you serve, the people you shepherd, and in your preparation and preaching of God's word? I do, by God's grace. Do you commit to live a godly life through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? I do, by God's grace. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus and his gospel? I am, by God's grace. Do you believe that the government of the church you serve is in agreement with the word of God? I do. Do you promise to be faithful in your responsibility to lead the elders in the church you serve while recognizing the corporate leadership of the elders? I do, by God's grace. Will you seek the peace and unity of the church you serve as minister to uphold the doctrine, worship, government, and discipline thereof, and to take your due part 
in the administration of its affairs. I will, by God's grace. But you promise to be faithful in equipping and training others for the work of ministry. I do, by God's grace. And do you promise to be faithful in your personal reading of the Bible and in prayer, recognizing the need to feed your own soul and grow as a Christian in devotion to the Lord Jesus? I do, by God's grace. And recognizing the demands of ministry, Will you love your family well, setting them an example of life and godliness and leading them in devotion to the Lord Jesus? I will, by God's grace. And are you willing to use your gifts for the wider church in Scotland, doing what you can, all you can, for the sake of the gospel, working in gospel partnership with others? I am. Let me invite the elders and ministers who are here to stand. And this question to us. Do you promise to pray for and support Sam as a minister and hold him accountable before God? We do by God's grace. And can I invite us all to stand? And this question, do you promise to pray for and support Sam in his ministry? We do, by God's grace. Now please can you sit, and Sam, if you come forward and kneel, and the ministers and elders will gather around you and lay hands on you while I pray. So can I invite them to do that? Our Father, we thank you for the grace of